God's people say amen again. I tell you what, it's been a great day to be here, to be worshiping, to hear this uh, gathering band lead us like they did into the, to the throne of God. I tell you what, that was awesome. And then to see this baptism, George spoke about in many ways its significance. I would just add to you this. Ryan is a student at Louisiana Tech University. He say, was saved in 2015, actually. But he had never followed through with baptism. He actually started reading the Word in the last few months. Now think about this. He started reading God's Scripture. And as he was reading through God's Scripture, God really just convicted him. And God said, you know you need to follow me and be baptized. You're saved, but it's important that you're baptized as well. So he began just looking around, and he saw that we had this church here right by this interstate, so he thought he just might call somebody. So he picked up the phone, and he called and spoke to Jacob Ambrose. And then Jacob and he got to share a little bit about his spiritual journey and, of course, then followed through with baptism. I think that's pretty awesome that God just continues to work. Maybe it's just a scripture or whatever else, but God can work, and God is working, and we look forward to seeing Ryan connect with a community of believers here at Temple Baptist Church. I just thank God for it. God's been doing some awesome things. I want to talk to you today about connecting in community. So in 1982, NBC launched a sitcom. Now, when I say 1982, I realize most of you were not even born then. But in 1982, NBC launched a sitcom named Cheers. Now, again, most of, you haven't, most of you weren't born, so you didn't see the show because you weren't born yet. And most of you, the other folks in here, my Baptist brethren and sistren, you were too pure to watch that show. Because in Cheers, it talks about these individuals coming into a local bar in Boston, Massachusetts. And there they would try to talk about their day, just share a little bit, blow off some steam, find some community. Actually, when the sitcom would come on each night, Thursday night if I remember correctly, it would begin with a certain theme song. I'm not going to sing it. But I want to. Let me share with you, though, the lyrics to that theme song. It says, making your way in the world today takes everything you got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go. See, Zach is not near as pure as you thought he was. Because he watched it somewhere along the way, right? Kind of inspired you, maybe. We're going to talk about that in staff meeting later, all right? <laughs> Where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. 1982, that theme song in many ways captured the heart and the spirit of a lot of people who just wanted to be a part of a community. And yes, they would find that community on that show. They would simply seem to find it there in a bar, a place where people could just share. Chuck Swindoll has said that the bar itself can be the counterfeit 
Well, the counterfeit substitute for the church sometimes because it's there at the bar that you don't get judged. It's there at the bar that you're able to find some community. And yet, let me tell you, it's at the bar that you'll come away lacking, not finding exactly what you thought you might. Fast forward 40 years ahead. Today, we are more connected than we ever have been. Today, we are technologically connected. We have friends through Facebook. We have followers through Twitter. We try to find likes on Instagram or maybe TikTok. We're able to text. We're able to snap. We're able to do a little bit of everything. But may I tell you this? Those of us who are the most connected generation are also the most disconnected generation when it comes to relationships. Too many times we've substituted technology, we've substituted these other things for true, authentic relationships. Where you as a believer can belong. Because God called you not just to believe, He called you to belong. He called you to find community. He called you to connect in community, and to live authentically with one another. This is what we call the church. I want to express the message this morning as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, as Paul is speaking about the church in Thessalonica, I do believe in many ways he helps us see how you can connect to the church, how the church is a place to belong. So here's Paul. He's down in Corinth. He had visited Thessalonica just a few months before and actually shared the gospel with them. They had been saved. They had formed a church, and he writes now to them. And this is what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, Endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ in his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Paul writes to them and he lets them know how much he misses them. It's only, only been a few months. Only a few months have passed and yet he still thinks about them. Why? Because Paul truly loved them. Paul loved them. He loved what? He loved the church. What's the church? He loved the people there in Thessalonica. When he is writing, remember in chapter 1, verse 1, he's writing to the church, the called out ones. And when he saw, speaks about church, he's talking about the people. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have programs. He wouldn't be talking about those things. He's talking about the people. And he's writing in such an emotional way. Some believe this is a turning point in the letter, actually. Many believe that here you, you hear him take an intense turn. Someone has said that you can almost hear the words themselves trembling. 
because they're filled with such emotion. Because he loved them. He loved the people. When we talk about the church, you and I should always be reminded that we're talking about the people. The people. Now, I am grateful the Lord has given us the resources he has. I'm grateful that he has given us this sanctuary. It's a large sanctuary so that we can uh, be able to spread out a little more when we want to and kind of find different places here to be able to sit, get away from folks. Especially during a pandemic, I was kind of thankful we had some bigger resources. I was thankful we could move our college ministry down here on Wednesday nights so that Everybody wouldn't be so tight in a smaller room. I was proud we could continue worship so that we had this building. So I'm grateful for a building. I'm grateful for our programs. But listen to me. When we talk about the church and loving the church, I'm not talking about loving a structure. I'm not talking about loving the campus. I'm not even talking about loving the programs of the church. I'm talking about loving the people, the church. There was a pastor in Wyoming that would always illustrate it this way. When someone would come up and they would say, Pastor, your church looks so nice. We've noticed you've done some things. The church looks great. He would often turn and he would say, Thank you, I've been working on it. He said, I've been exercising a little more and I've been dieting a little more. Now that was for him, not for me, okay? But he would try to illustrate that when you're talking about the church, you're talking about flesh and blood. You're not talking about brick and mortar. So when I talk to you about loving the church, I'm talking about loving people. And Paul loved these people. He had birthed these people into the gospel. He had seen them congregate together. He loved them. He understood, I believe, that the most important thing in life would be, a comp- would be surrounding relationships. Relationships. Relationships are the most important things in life. You do know that, don't you? Really, when you think about life, what it's all about, what is it about? It is about relationship. It is about relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ, and it's about relationship with others as Christ gives you that opportunity. That's what it's about. Some people don't learn that till later in life, but you would be wise to take note of it now. Because relationships, loving people, loving the community of Christ, that's what it's about. Fortunately, through the years, or maybe fortunately, because God gave me the opportunity, I've been able to stand at the side of many beds where people were just about to enter into eternity. I've been there with them. I've held their hands, talked with them. Maybe it would be just a few hours later. Maybe it would be a few days later, but I've seen so many individuals that were preparing for eternity. And listen, do you know I never heard one of them say, hey, could you all go get my degrees off the wall? You know, those certificates. Would you go get those off the wall and bring those in so I could see them one more time before I close my eyes here on this earth? I never heard one of them say, would you go get the bank account statements and bring those so that I can look at how much money I have and how much I've amassed? I've never heard one individual say, if you can just scoot me up by the window so that I can look out and see that car one more time or that boat one more time. I've never seen anybody do that. But you know what happens? What happens in that moment when that person is preparing to meet eternity itself? 
People gather around. The relationships are there. It would be family members. It would be friends. It would be church members. It would be people coming around. Because in that moment, you realize the only thing that truly matters on this earth are the relationships that we have, the relationship with God and the relationship with others. That's what makes a difference. Paul writes to these folks, flesh and blood. He's writing to people. He's expressing his heart. How he has missed them because how much he loved them. Life is to be shared. What's the old quote? No man is an island. That is so true. God did not intend for you to live a life of alienation, He did not intend for you to isolate yourself from others. God intended for you to experience relationship, to live in authentic community. Again, you're called to believe, but you're also called to belong. Some many years ago, St. John of the Cross wrote this. He said, the virtuous soul that is alone is like the burning coal that is alone. It will grow colder rather than harder, hotter. In other words, when the coal has been removed, it seems to die out. But when it's around the other coal, it can burn very brightly. Philip Yancey said this. He said, Christianity is not a purely intellectual internal faith. It can only be lived in community. And certainly, that's what God's intention is. When we become a member of a local body, we're a part of that community. C.S. Lewis says that the church was the first to use the idea of membership. Now, we have memberships to uh, gyms. We have memberships to different clubs. We have membership to all those things. But C.S. Lewis pointed out that there was something that was distinctly unique about belonging to a local body of believers where you are a member with expectation, with encouragement, and even with requirements now this is what I noticed as I was reading through this scripture and thinking of it in terms of the New Testament in general is that when I say that you are to love people and you are a member of the church through belief I recognize that that means you're a member of the family listen to what Paul says but we brethren he calls them brothers You might translate it like this, my brothers and my sisters. As he's writing to them, he's saying, we are family. We're part of the same family. He'd already used these images where he said that he was both a father and a mother, and now he says that there are some kinships as we experience them through brotherhood and through sistership, I would call it. He says we experience that. In the family. Sometimes a mixed metaphor, but the metaphor is family nonetheless. Paul will write to the Ephesians, and he'll say to them in chapter 2, verse 19, that we belong to the household of God, or we belong to the family of God. Peter writes in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 17, he says, Love the brotherhood, or some translations will say, Love your spiritual family. 
I do believe that that analogy is my favorite one of the church in the scripture. There are a lot of others, the body of Christ, uh, the building of the Lord, the temple of God. There are a lot of different analogies, but I love this one. You're the family of God. You're brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, how do we become part of the family? We're adopted into the family. The language of the New Testament is that you are adopted. You are brought into the family. You were on your own. You were doing your things. But what God did through his Holy Spirit's work in your life and through the faith that you responded in is that he brought you into the family. And now you are his child. You are his. So if you are his... And so are the others who belong to the church. That means that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. It means that we are family members. And we're to love one another. You know what's uh, eye-opening about being in the family? Is that you see how real the family is. How about your biological family? You know all about certain things, right, of your family. Sometimes I'll call up, I'll talk to my mom. She'll give me a play-by-play of what's going on. That's what happens, by the way, when you live on the compound. Some of you need to remember this, especially younger ones. Like, I've got a brother that lives right there in front of her. I have a sister that lives right there in front of her. I have a brother up the road. Leslie calls it the Bridges Compound which she said she would not live on, by the way, because my mother can look out the window and see everything that is happening, tell me they're coming and they're going and what's going. Yes, she does. It's only out of concern. But you know all about your family, and you know it can get real sometimes. There's no pretense in the family, in the household. You can't hide certain things in the household. You can't do that. And listen, in the life of the church, we need to understand that we are loving real people. We're not necessarily loving the ideal people because we haven't reached the ideal yet, but we are pretty real when it comes to who we are. God calls us to love the family. There's some brothers and sisters in Christ you will identify here in this community this morning. There's some spiritual fathers and mothers that you will experience in the church. God has called you to love them. Oh, you'll find some unique characters. You will. Remember in your family there was the crazy old uncle? At Temple we call him Bill Cox. If you haven't met him, I can introduce you to him and you will be assured of what I say this morning. We even have a We even have an ice cream loving great granddaddy we call Dale Oden. He's on staff with us. There are a lot of people that you'll meet. But God calls you to love those people. He calls you to love them in a real way when they are real. When they're authentic. You know what I grow very disappointed in is that we seem to give up on family too quickly. Especially the church. Somebody says something, you say, well, I'm not going back there. Somebody has a different view of you, you say, hey, I don't want to have a part in that relationship anymore. I'm telling you that we are so quick 
to abandon our spiritual family. When get this, you would never do that with your physical family. Oh, you would have your feelings hurt if your mother-in-law said that to you. But you don't just stop. You don't just say, no, I'm not going to go over. Your brother, he messes up. Your brother is an addiction to something. You don't just say, hey, I hope you make it well on your own. You pray for him and you love him because he is still your brother. And that should happen in the church life too. I'm not sure. Well, let me say, the folks at Thessalonica were not perfect. They were very much a work in progress. It's one of the reasons he's writing a letter to them to encourage them in certain areas. But he still loved them. They were still his brothers. And they were still his sisters in Christ. You can grow frustrated with the people of God. But I say to you, don't give up on the people of God. Love the people of God. Rick Warren captured it this way some years ago. He said, once you deserve or once you discover what God intends real fellowship to be, it is easy to become discouraged by the gap between the ideal and the real in your church. Yet, we must passionately love the church in spite of its imperfections. Longing for the ideal while criticizing the real is evidence of immaturity. But on the other hand, settling for real without striving for the ideal is complacency. So we see the real and we love and we strive for the ideal together as a family. So sometimes when people come and talk to me beforehand about joining, and I've had several in the last few months especially, they'll talk to me and they'll say something like this. Hey, we've been at Temple the last uh, few weeks and few months, and it's not what we expected. It's not what we expected. Now, the first time somebody said that to me when I first came here, I was like, what were you, what are you talking about? Because I'm going to tell you, you don't talk about my wife, you don't talk about my kids, and I will tell you, you don't talk about my church. You don't. So I was kind of like, what would you say? What? And now I've heard that over and over, and I realize it's not something that is negative. It's actually something that's positive. You know what I've heard so many different ones say? We were intimidated by the big building. We were concerned that when we came there to temple, it would just be like, you know, just so many different people, and we couldn't find our spot, and there's so many... We wouldn't know anybody, this and this and that. And of course, first of all, I'm like, hey, you should have known. It's Rustin. Everybody knows everybody. But seriously, I'm grateful that people got past the building so that they could see the relationship. Because we're not to be known just for a building. I hope we're not. I hope we're not even known for great programs. You know what I hope we're known for? Authentic and true relationships in Jesus Christ and with each other. Because what I've learned here at Temple is that this is a family. And I love this family. People are its real treasure. Not any other type of resource. 
the people that God has called together. How do you connect? Let me just say quickly, one of the ways you connect in relationship at Temple is by joining a small group. I would say Sunday school. Several people, I've told this privately, I say this publicly, I mean this. If you only got one hour you can give me on Sunday, and I think you got more than one hour. But anyway, if you only give me one hour on Sunday, give me an hour of your Sunday school time or small group time. You say, well, you're the preacher. You stand up there. And I, I got you. Worship's important. What we had a moment ago was phenomenal. Us being able to study together like this is awesome. But you find not only study and growth in the small groups, but you find relationships that will sustain you. So important. That's where you begin to see the family. He loved them. He longed for them. Look what he said. He said, but we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence. He says, we have been taken away from you. That is a strong word. First of all, it means it was a decisive action. But the word itself is the word for orphanizing. I know that sounds crazy, but orphanizing. In other words, becoming an orphan. He felt like he had been so separated from them that he had been removed from them this temporary. And he says, it was like I was cut off from my family. He longed for them because, again, he had been cut off. When you love somebody and you're instantly removed from them, and it's been a while, you do long for them. I hinted at this a, a few weeks ago. I didn't say much about it because it was a holiday season. A lot of us had holiday things going on. But around December the 21st, my wife had to leave and go to North Mississippi to be able to help out with her family because they were going through some medical issues and she had to go and take care of them. And it was kind of a tough time. It was me, and it was my kids together. Think about that. All kind of fun. Kids were missing their mama at some point. I don't really know. I miss Leslie. You may not have realized this, but I love my wife. And I missed her about two and a half weeks into it. Oh, I missed, <clears throat> I missed her December 21st about 12 noon. My kids missed their mama. Their mama missed her kids. And I think she kind of missed me along the way. Because when you love somebody, you long to be with them. He says, I missed you. I love you. You're my brothers and sisters, and I long for you. I was taken away. I feel like an orphan. It's hard for me to imagine exactly what Paul was experiencing, except I do remember when I left churches as pastor. I've moved around. Most of the time I've changed churches, it was just because I was moving roles, ministerial roles. I never put out a resume to the churches that called me. Never have. It was always through a relationship, a connection, something here. They called me up one day and said, hey, would you be, 
willing to kind of talk with us. But when I left each one, it was traumatic for me. I remember when I left Pine Grove to go to Zachary. Pine Grove was a church where they had the pews or chairs on the platform on each side where the pastor would sit on one side and the music minister would sit on the other side. I sat up there that day when I was supposed to resign because I'd already been to Zachary. Zachary had already voted on me and I was sitting up there and I was looking out at the people. I'm talking about people that I love, people that were part of my family. And I was like, God, I am not doing this today. I'm just not going to do it. I know I'm supposed to do it when I step up there. I am not doing this. I'm going to call Zachary and tell him, nope, not coming, not leaving these folks. And then God got a hold of me just a little bit. I knew what I was supposed to do, but man, it was hard. When I was preparing to come here from Zachary, I had met with the committee and I'd gone through the different times and I could see God doing this. I knew what was happening. I was on a trip to Nicaragua. I was on a mission trip down there. This crazy old guy, yeah, we got more than one crazy uncle here. We got Bill Cox, but there's another guy called Dwight Anderson. You never met him. I introduced you to him too. He was the chairman of my search committee. He called me up. Dwight said, Hey, I met with the other committee members and the church leaders, and they would like to go ahead and do this before Christmas. Uh, we, we'd like to do it instead of waiting to January. And I was like, what? And he said, yeah, and this is the kicker. We need to know by in the morning. If not, it's okay. We'll still, we'll still go to January, but we'd like to, we'd like to go ahead and move forward with this. <clears throat> I was in Nicaragua. I was separated from my wife. I called my wife up, and I said, hey, Leslie, Dwight just called. This is what he said. All I can tell you, baby, is pray. Just pray, and I'll talk to you in the morning. I went out there on that compound there in Nicaragua, and I got down on my knees underneath that tree that was there, and I poured out my heart to God, and I said, God, why? I know this is your plan, but why does it hurt so bad? I remember telling you that. God... Why is this hurting so bad? Why won't you just let me do this and it feel okay? And then I realized the reason it hurts so bad is because you love so much. And I knew God was calling me to come here at Temple, and I thank God that I did. But how I missed. How I still miss my friends in Picayune. How I still miss my family in Zachary. Thank God for this place. But Paul said, Paul said, I've been separated for a little while. Hey, some of you, you come from other churches. There have been so many that will sit in my office. They'll talk about joining and they'll say, Reggie, you know how hard this is for us to leave our church and to come here to temple. You know what I tell them every time? It should be. It should be really hard. Because you should have loved that family you should have invested there. They should have invested in. If you are able to just change churches and it never bother you, there's something wrong in the investment you are making in your community of, of believers and something perhaps wrong with the community of believers of investing in you. 
And I always tell them, we're not here to try to collect other church members from other churches. That's not really why we exist. Now, we're grateful. God has blessed us with some awesome people who have come into our family here. But that is not why we're here. I'm not out trying to recruit other church members because there are enough lost people I'm concerned about seeing come to salvation in Christ. But it should be hard. And when God moves in your heart and he brings you to a place... It should be difficult because you love them and you long for them. He had a great desire to see them. The word for desire there is the same word for lust or coveting. Sometimes Paul will use that word in a very negative, almost always uses it in a negative connotation, but here he uses it in a positive. Now, what had happened? What had separated them? He said, I, I long for you, and I long for you face to face. Because there's some intimacy about that, isn't there? Isn't there more intimacy about uh, having a conversation with people face-to-face than in just texting somebody or calling somebody or even writing somebody? It's kind of nice seeing your eyes when I'm preaching. There are a few of you looking at me. It's nice to see your smile when you don't have the mask on. It's nice to hear a person's voice. There's intimacy there. He says, I long for that intimacy. But what had happened is that Satan had hindered. That's what he said. He said, Satan had hindered. The word there means to cut. Literally, that word would be used to describe an army that would cut up a road so that the road would become impassable so that the enemy could not come through. In other words, it would be an obstacle they would put in the road. It would be a barrier they would put there so that the other, the other army could not advance. And he says, Satan hindered me from coming to you. How did he do that? I don't know. Was it the thorn in the flesh Paul talked about? Was it the political pressure? Was it the religious leaders who had stood against him in Thessalonica? I don't know. But he said Satan hindered. Now you need to hear me say this clearly. I believe our God is on the throne and he is always in charge. There is not one thing, principality, whatever you want to call it, anything that can somehow dislodge our God from the throne. He is on the throne. Paul knew the sovereignty of God. But Paul also realized that we live in a fallen world. And through this fallen world, people make choices. And Satan still fights against the kingdom. And he says, Satan has hindered me from coming to you. Do you not believe? I don't think I'm going out on a limb here. I'm just going to say this. Do you not believe in the last few months... That Satan has not used COVID-19 to try to keep the community of Christ separated and fragmented and apart. Now, I believe our God's in control. He uses, he can ordain things, he can certainly redeem the COVID-19. But do you not believe that in some way he has not, Satan has not done everything he could through this to splinter the community of Christ? Yes. He has hindered people from being here face to face. And some do not need to be here necessarily. I'm not like trying to put a guilt trip on people. I I don't think some people need to be here. But has Satan not used these things to hinder the face to face? Hope, 
But you know what? Paul found ways to connect even when he couldn't connect face to face. What did he do? He prayed for them. And what else? He wrote a letter. So this is what's pretty cool is even though we haven't been able to meet face to face with some people, God's given us an opportunity to do what? Well, certainly to pray for our brothers and sisters, but also to live stream to do a lot of other things. I know on campus is not the same, or online is not the same as on campus. I've said that. But my friends, God has given us opportunity even through this. And there are a lot of people there watching live stream that really love to be here if they could. About two weeks ago when I preached about something, I bet I got about 15 messages from people, from older people in particular, that have not been on this campus since March. And you know what they said? They long for the gathering of Christ. They long to be back. There were people that never missed a day, and now they've not been in the church here in over almost a year. But at least we can stay connected. How I miss their faces. How I miss their presence. But we can still stay connected. And let me give you this last because I am out of time. Paul says, for what is our hope, our joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you? For you are our glory, glory and joy. You know what he said? One of the reasons he lived was for these people. They were his crown, the victory. They were his fruit. He was living for them. He was longing for them because he loved them so much. But he looked forward to that time with them. Listen to what he says. Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? You know what Paul's saying in a sense? I can't be with you right now. Who knows how I, I'm going to be able to be with you again, be able to visit with you, be able to worship with you. But listen, one day... There is no doubt that you and I are going to be together again, and that is at the coming of the Lord Jesus. I've done several international trips, mission trips, and what I often tell people is, I may never come back here and I may never see you again, but I pray I see you in heaven itself one day to worship. Do you realize that if you and I could never gather here again, if something happened and we were not able to come back, maybe because of health or whatever else, there is something promised for us so much better where we will gather for worship at the coming of Jesus. Oh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and following we'll look at talks about when Jesus Christ returns. What happens? The dead in Christ rise first. Those of us who remain, we will be changed in this twinkling of an eye. We will be before the presence of Christ and all of the church will be gathered together. And what a worship scene. Do you realize how many people in the last year that we as a church have lost? It wasn't just COVID. Car accidents, strokes, heart attacks, young people, old people that have been that were affected by cancer and all the other things. Do you know how many that I cannot worship here with anymore? When all of this began, of course, we thought there would be a short end. We'd be able to come back and worship. Things did not turn out as we planned. 
about a month or two into it, I looked at Dale, our senior adult minister, and I told Dale, I said, Dale, there will be some of our older people that we will never worship with again. Not here. Because even, even if they don't experience COVID and all that, they were at a point, so some of them were getting older and medically, they weren't going to be able to come much anymore anyway. And if this lasts a few months, they're not going to ever be able to join us again. But I tell you this, I may never worship with them here in this place again. But one of these days when Jesus Christ, when he comes across that sky and he comes to call us home, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that I'm going to bust heaven wide open and I'm going to be right there with some of my brothers and sisters, some of the spiritual fathers and mothers that I've had in this church, and I'm going to worship right alongside of them. I'm sorry, I may have to push you out of the way for a little while because I've had you a little bit, but I'm getting right by them and I'm going to worship because God has promised us that we are the church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against us. And one of these days, we will be before the very presence of Christ. It may be a temporary separation now, but one of these days, we'll be together for all eternity. I want to pray with you. I want to encourage you today. Just listen, just listen. Love God's people. Love God's people. Connect with God's people. Long for God's people. And may we all look forward to a time when we will gather before the throne and worship as the family of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for these moments. Thank you for this time of worship that you've given us and God right now in this place I pray that you will convict that you'll speak that you'll help us as your people connect with one another through relationship love one another like we should just get real with one another and be the people you've called us to be and Lord we will live in your hope we will live in your victory each and every day we pray it now in Jesus name amen would you stand